Welcome to Digital Marketing That Puts People First, brought to you by The Online Co., where we believe the best way to help businesses grow is to do exactly that, put people first. I'm James Parnwell, and in this episode, we're going to talk to you about the Digital Marketing Playbook. Have you got an actual plan for your marketing, or are you just given a few things a go? Successful businesses spend time prior to commencing where they do some thinking and planning about what the following year of marketing is going to look like. Every time you see a big brand advertising something, you can be sure that plenty of thought has gone into who that content is speaking to, what, is, what it is intended to communicate, which channels will be used to communicate it, and what the outcomes need to be in order to define success. Whether you're a small, medium, or large business, you need a plan in place, and this is where our digital marketing playbook comes into place. It's an old saying, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. My co-host today is Christy McDougall. G'day, Christy. Hey, James. So maybe we should start with a question around what's a common reason that campaigns fail? So oftentimes we have clients who come in and they've got a really set idea on exactly what they want to do. So they'll come in and they'll go, I want to run Facebook ads because, you know, Joe down the street told me that that was the way to go. And it's actually might not be the best tactic for their brand. So they're sort of setting themselves up for failure in that respect because they haven't really analyzed, you know, what is going to be the best channel for them, what, you know, maybe their competitors are doing in that space. And they just jump straight into it without really thinking about the bigger picture and then wonder why it didn't work for them. <laughs> so that actually happens quite often. And that can happen for, you know, any of them. It can happen for Facebook or Google ads or SEO or any of those things. So that's something that we do see a little bit more often than I'd like. <laughs> yeah. So they've, they've picked a tactic before doing any strategic work. Yeah. yeah. So that their their business is probably quite marketable, but that particular tactic might not be the right one for them. So then they go and market themselves and have a failure and think, oh, you know, I've got a problem. Whereas potentially some analysis of the customer and the competition would have told them that that's not the right tactic. Yeah, exactly. Can you think of an example of someone who came to us who, who was getting things wrong and we turned them around? More often than not, it's not actually clients that are getting things really wrong. You know, there's a lot of gray area and this is not one thing is right and one thing is wrong. It's just uh, trying to find your sweet spot. So we did have a client come to us and she was in a consulting space and she had a really great reputation in the industry, but she had set her brand up thinking about what she liked and not necessarily what her customers yeah. were going to respond to. And all of her branding and her colors and everything really weren't in that sweet spot. So we redid everything for her. And when she did then launch everything out, she got multiple comments and compliments on how beautifully everything had been done because it had been done with that particular target market in mind. So she was just a classic, classic person who was an expert in her field, a mm -hmm. consultant and very good at what she did, but yeah. not in marketing and just just everything was there just needed us to pull it out for her and yeah and um and make that work well shall we jump in absolutely we can definitely jump in so one of the first things that we do when we have our clients come across is we actually do a competitive landscape analysis so we have a look at all of that do you want to sort of explain what that means james yeah sure so Usually a client will have an idea of what their competitors are. We can use Google and other tools to see who's competing around there. And then you can check maybe seven to 10 competitors. 
what you're going to find usually is a couple of heroes. So some people that are doing really, really great marketing and they're potentially get the, the old 80-20 rule. They might be getting 80% of the leads uh, from 20% of the twenty percent of the businesses. So we want to know what they're up to. <laughs> like, let's anal- analyze what they're doing. If it's working in your industry, maybe we don't need to completely reinvent the wheel. There's just some learnings we can take from them. Yeah. The other thing we find is that that industries may be quite underdeveloped with digital marketing and there's big gaps. So then we can just say, oh, look, people are not utilizing uh, paid socials in your industry. That, yeah. There's a real opportunity there. Or maybe LinkedIn's a gap where your competitors are not on LinkedIn. Just I'm using them as examples. Uh, one time we came, we, we did an analysis of an industry and there was a number of competitors didn't even have websites. So it was like, quite quite always in the past yeah i remember that when they came through to us and they were like oh these are definitely our three main competitors and we're like wow they didn't even really exist online so are you sure yeah Yeah, so in that industry they're still catching up with people offline and working the networks which is which is fine but they're definitely vulnerable yeah um so once we've got to look at that then we can just analyze what the opportunities and what the threats are. So the good old SWOT analysis has the two external parts. What opportunities are presented by looking at my competitors and what threats are there by looking at my competitors? And that it's often in that process that that first issue talk, you talked about, Christy, where someone's chosen the wrong tactic, mm-hmm. that gets flushed out yeah. there because you can see that people either are not doing it or are doing it and it, and it becomes clear. So that's the first thing, understanding your, com- your competition. And the next thing is to understand your voice, your brand voice, or your company's voice, so you sound unique in the market. Do you want to um, unpack that a bit, Christy? Yeah, so your brand voice is really about how you present yourself online. So it includes everything from you know your target customer and how they are interacting in this space and what we really do is we do a really deep dive into that persona and we think about their motivations and their barriers and you know what's really going to help them come across the line and really making sure that we understand their journey and their personhood is really important and we'll actually put together quite a comprehensive story in that space as well. The other thing that's really important is understanding your unique points of difference. And this can really be hard for a lot of our clients coming in. They're like, oh, well, we do this and we do this. And when we've actually done that competitive analysis, we're able to say to them, well, you know, that's actually something that's really special about you because nobody else is necessarily doing yes. that in sure. that space. So we really want to hammer that home and make that a really big part of what we're presenting online. And then we talk a little bit more about your brand voicing and, you know, how your language is really setting up your brand, you know, whether you're speaking with empathetic tones of voice or whether you're having a commanding presence. And that really does make a difference in how you are writing your ads, how you may be presenting yourself on your website. We do a little bit analysis in archetypes as well. So there's a thing in the marketing space called brand archetypes, which is really how you present your brand in relation to how your competitor, sorry, how, eh. there's another thing that we do, which is brand archetypes, which is really how you present yourself in a way that is actually going to meet that target market really well. So big brands do this really well, you know, uh, 
what did so the Disney brand, for example, they know that they're in that magical space and they've really got to create this essence of beauty and magic and imagination to appeal to the people and what they're wanting from that brand. So we'll do a little bit around that as well. And then we get down to what's called our clarity statement, the part that we nut over the most and really think about because what happens often when people come to a website is people want to do that grand imagination and amazing thing. But the first thing people actually want to know when they come to your website isn't that you are awesome and have an amazing imagination. They just want to know they're in the right place. And the yeah. amount of times that, <laughs> that people have this, you know, um, wonderful statement, which sounds beautiful, but they could be in a health space and, you know, somebody in a financial advisor space could use the exact same statement. And how do you yes. know? Where you, if you've landed in the right space, because you can obviously be looking for clearly different things in that. So we go through a lot of that really in depth. And, you know, if you haven't thought about all of those things and you're just going to put an ad up on Facebook, well, what are you going to say? Are you saying yeah. the right things? Are you saying the wrong things? So we've really got to think about all of that stuff first. It's really important. So the next phase or the third thing is to think about the customer's path to purchase, what are the processes they're going to go through or the steps they're going to go through in becoming a customer? Yeah, so the analogy that I really use in this space is, you know, you want to make sure that all of your efforts are actually all working towards a common goal. So if you think about it as a sled dog team, if you've got, you know, something happening over here on one side and something happening over there on the other side, they're not actually all working together. You're never going to get to your destination. So what we do is we put together a nurture strategy, which really shows, okay, we're going to be running, you know, uh, SEO, and that's going to be pointing to the website, but we're also going to be running Facebook ads, which are going to be pointing to the same page so that we can really build that authority. And then that's going to have an effect on this. And so we really think uh, linear in a linear way about exactly how everything is going to feed into and complement one another so that you don't have these isolated standalone strategies that, really could be helping other parts of your business but aren't. It's a really missed opportunity if you're not actually really thinking about that path to purchase. And one of the major things that we have a problem in marketing is with attribution and people want to know, okay, I want to know exactly where this lead is coming from. But in often, you know, reality, they might have seen something on social media and then they might see, you know, an ad on Google and then they might be retargeted for an ad later. But then by the time they come and look for you, they've come through or Google organic, and that's the one that's the winner. But if you're not actually understanding how all of these things are working together, you can go, okay, well, Google's the winner, no worries, I'm just going to turn everything else off, and then you wonder why all your leads stopped. <laughs> so we've really got to understand that whole journey. And we've seen that with running a Google yeah. Ads campaign and then turn on a Facebook campaign with it, and the cost per lead on the Google Ads campaign drops. Yep. There's no other reason, but there's – like those Facebook and Google don't talk to each other. So there's no attribution. You can't prove it except yeah. you go, there was no other variable involved here. And, and the cost per lead dropped on one of those, um, on one of the tactics. Yep. We have, we've seen that multiple times. Yeah. So the other thing that, you know, this sort of really leads into is your overall SEO strategy. So, so sure. SEO stands for your search engine optimization. So really making sure that Google is knowing how to find you and what it needs to be looking for. So do you want to talk, James, just a bit about what it's looking for? Yeah. So the core of this is around keyword strategy. What are the big keywords that you're going to rank for? Uh, 
Then what are the medium size? So we would call them A class and then B class. Medium size keywords are often very good as well. They um, they have strong intent, so people are looking for the thing you sell. But B won't have as many search um, search queries per month as A's. Of course, the A's are much harder to get. Then there's the C's, things like people asking questions or, uh, or looking to learn more. They're not quite in the in the buying process yet. So you need to make a business case for those keywords. Once we've got that sorted, then there's all the ongoing work to make your website as friendly to Google as possible. So there's the technical side, which is load speeds, making sure there's no broken images, broken pages, etc. Making sure all of the metas, meta description, meta title, all the metas on the images, links, etc., all done. And so then Google can come to your website, and it's just a robot, and it just reads the code, and then it knows exactly what you're about. Hmm. Uh, then we want to optimize for local. Uh, so if someone's typing in your uh, suburb or an area near you, that they'll find you. There's the backlinking side, which is creating links from other websites. There's your whole user experience. And then the other big one is just using those keywords that we talked about to create content to put all across your website. Lots of helpful, useful words for humans that have the right keywords in them so Google can find you. So we just want that SEO strategy uh, planned out for the year before we launch into it. You really don't want to be doing a bit of SEO this month and then next month, oh, well, what are we going to do this time? Oh, we'll do a bit more SEO. You know, you want a, yeah, clear, exactly. <laughs> a, a clear plan. So that's the Google organic side of things. That's what we call it. And then, of course, we've got our Google paid side of things. So this is where we're really paying to be in front of people. Do you want to explain? There's a lot that can encompass that as yeah. well, James. So it's called Google Ads. It used to be called Google AdWords. It's like Google like to change names of things just to confuse everybody. But there's search. So you've probably seen them. They're the search results at the top of every search you've ever done. <laughs> but there's display. Um, there's video through YouTube. There's shopping. And then there's this one called Performance Max, which is where Google uses its AI to put your ads all over the place in, in a mixture of all of those uh, in, a, in an attempt to find the right people at the right time. So there's a mixture of different Google ad strategies. It's not just the search. So typically what we'll want to do is if you're running a campaign, do an audit, uh, get you a score out of 100 for what's happening at the moment, uh, and, and then we can see clearly what needs to be improved. If you're not running a campaign, then we want to look at media budgets. And as an example, uh, your industry in your area there'll be a certain amount of money you can spend to dominate. So if you if the, if your industry is a pie, there's some keywords you want to target, you want to own all those pieces of the pie, it might cost 25 grand per month to, do, to dominate and be on all the time. So that's the size of the pie. Well, then you're going to figure out, well, actually, how much of that pie do we want? And it's possible you say, oh, well, we want 10% of the pie. Um and then we'd figure out what that budget is. Now, it's not linear. It's not like 10% uh, 10 is two and a half. It actually, you, for, for between two and a half to five grand, you can potentially be on uh, getting more than 50% of, of that budget. So, um, yeah, without going into too much detail on that, we could figure out those budgets and then make some uh, small recommendations through to the full the full pie, and then you can make a decision as to where you're wanting to invest. 
Um, so that's what we would do with the with the Google ad strategy. What's working for you at the moment and then what potentially could work? I should point out while we're here, though, that Google ads, when it works, is the best lead generation tactic I've ever seen. Yep. But when it doesn't work, it's an absolute waste of money. And there are and a lot of money at that. <laughs> yeah. And there are times where we go to clients and say, don't do it. Yeah. Uh, regularly. It's, it's not the right fit for everybody. So if you're thinking about doing it, uh, make sure you talk to us and, and at least do this process to rule it in or out. Yeah. It, could, it could be a monumental waste of money. Yep. So that's paid Google, but there's paid social as well, Christy. So you want to unpack that? Yeah. So obviously socials can encompass a wide range of things. It can be anything from Pinterest, Twitter, LinkedIn, TikTok, Snapchat, Facebook, like socials are just huge. And not every platform could be right for you either. It really depends on your target market. It really depends on what you're trying to get out of that as well. So, you know, most people would think, okay, well, if I'm doing business to business, I'm going to do LinkedIn. Actually, LinkedIn may not be exactly what you need. You've really got to think about where your people are and what they're doing. And often what we really try and hammer home for clients in this space as well is that video is king. So if you're not willing to create any assets, well, then maybe social isn't actually going to work overly well for you as well. So because what we have to do is really think through that marketing funnel. Social is fantastic for people who don't know that they need your product or don't know that they need to be looking for you because we can put you in front of them with video, for example, and say, this is actually this is what going to solve the problem that you didn't really know you were having. But now that it's brought to your attention, you're like, oh, my gosh, I do need that problem solved. So video uh, socials is really great for that we can show them videos and then we can retarget them and send them through your website or get leads or start chats or there's a whole range of things that we can do in that space even if it is a very businessy product uh you know sort of pushing that awareness out on socials first and then people will come and look for you after can be a really key component in that overall strategy Because like I said, unless people actually know that they're looking for you, they're not going to come to Google. They're not going to do any of that. Even with Google Mm -hmm. ads, there's a certain amount of intent that's required for that to work really well. But with social, there's not. They just need to be the right person in the right space. And we can definitely find them through that. But we've really got to think through what assets we're going to push through and the different objectives. And there are a whole lot of objectives as well. I think there's about nine just on Facebook alone that you can choose from. So really thinking through and going, okay, well, I want leads from Facebook. There's actually a whole lot of steps that need to happen before that, where you've really got to curate people through. And uh, Facebook or Meta, as it's known now, has really changed a lot of things over the past two years in terms of privacy and what you are and aren't allowed to target people from. So if you said to yourself, oh, well, you know what, I ran ads two years ago, it's fine, I can do it myself, really not the same landscape anymore. Yeah, it's it's completely different. different now. So you've really got to know what you're doing in order to actually get leads out on the other side of that. But it is really, really amazing and can work really well especially in that education component. So that is a really key one too. Yeah, so the pay, that's paid social. There's organic as well, so the non-paid social. 
Yeah, so organic social is really important in terms of building trust. So I don't know if you've ever seen a product in your feed and gone, oh, actually, that would be really good. And I don't, if you're anything like me, you'll stop and go, oh, is that a dodgy page? Is that a not dodgy page? Because let's face it, there are a whole lot of those out there that are really, you know, not exactly reputable. And one of the first things I'll do is actually go on their organic and see how often they post, what they're posting, what they're about. Maybe if it's a really big product and I'm not exactly keen on jumping in just yet, I might follow the page and really see what they're about, see what else comes up in their feed. So it's really about a whole nurture component. And a lot of people will go, okay, well, I want organic because I just want to grow my product through there. You still need to feed it. So they really work in hand in hand because paid really feeds the organic, but organic builds the trust so that you can push people over the line. And what we're finding with organic as well is that, you know, a lot of people just hammer the business all the time on organics. And if people aren't liking those posts or interacting with them in any sense, the platforms will stop showing them anything on there because they'll go, well, this page isn't actually important to this person, so I'm not even going to bother. So we put together rhythms where we've got, you know, different types of content going up. It can be value adding, it can be social, it can be video, it can be all these different things so that we're getting people to interact on different things so that the more businessy posts will actually still show up on their feeds and you can still bring them through that whole nurture funnel. So there's actually a real subtle art to making sure that it works really well. Yeah, great. Uh, And... Yeah, that's, you know, one of the components of social is obviously LinkedIn and there is different, LinkedIn is sort of like its own little beast in a sense because it it sort of is like some of the other platforms, but it's sort of really not like some of the other platforms as well. And we've got our own strategy for how we really nail LinkedIn in an organic, but also in a paid way. So do you want to explain that, James? Yeah, so LinkedIn Sales Navigator is the is the method we're talking about, and this is specifically for B two B. So if you're if you're a B two B, then it's useful for you. But if you're B two C, it's, it's probably not. <laughs> um, essentially, LinkedIn has pretty much the entire Western world on it as a um, as a database. And when you subscribe to Sales Navigator, it allows you to access the database, so you can get in. And you can create lists. So you could say, I want a list of every accountant in New South Wales who has more than 10 staff. And it'll just give you the list. Uh, so I don't know. There might be, I don't know, 10,000 of those, I'm, I'm guessing. And what you can then do is start to reach out to them. You can create, uh, you, you want to create some messaging templates so you can talk to them. And you can develop leads. Now, if if you look, if you have a good value offer, you have a um, and consistency around this, you can create new connections and you can uh, generate leads through LinkedIn Sales mm-hmm. Navigator. So, and we that's, have seen. Oh, sorry. No, I was just going to yeah. say we have seen that work really well for uh, you know industries where we wouldn't even think, like trades, for example, where people can mm. land well over a hundred thousand dollars in one connection. So. It can be a really yep. big game changer, even when you might not think so. Yep. And so the, the last tactic here, Christy, is email. Yeah. So email can be, you know, sometimes people think of it as being the older cousin. It's a bit of a dinosaur. Maybe it's not quite what you think it used to be. 
But there are a whole lot of tools now that really enable you to use automation to your advantage and take a lot of the legwork out of what you could be doing. So, you know, if you're feeding people into that database, you can be touch point, you can have touch points with them the whole way through. You can ask them for reviews. You can ask them for referrals. You can take a lot of that legwork out and then it actually supports a lot of your other strategies because, Again, if you're like me and you're looking to do something online, you want to know what other people think of that product or that service first. So getting those reviews back up online and it really does set up a whole supportive system if you've done it well. And it can be a really amazing tool in your toolbox. Uh, so we offer, you know, monthly and fortnightly emails. We can work with you to build out any of those automations and things like that. And we'll recommend in this process exactly what could work really well for you. So email is still definitely a huge component of uh, digital marketing. Yeah, it's often low-hanging fruit. If you've got a good database, yeah. you can access them quite cheaply. Yeah, so, absolutely. So if we've done our competitor analysis and our our opportunities and our threats and we've got our voice together and we figured out our path to purchase Then we've got an SEO plan, Google ads, uh, paid socials, organic socials. We've got LinkedIn, we've got email. Uh, we then need to put, put them into a 12 month rollout plan. Yeah, absolutely. Cause that's a lot of stuff to think about. Oh my gosh, how is this all going to play out? How is this all going to feed into one another? So having a rollout plan is a really, really important idea. It literally tells you, what's going to be accomplished in you know quarter one, quarter two, quarter three, quarter four. And by quarter four, you're going to need to be setting yourself up to reset some things for the next quarter. And so you've really got to have a plan about how all of that's going to roll out and when you're expected to meet certain deadlines, because you can say to yourself, great, okay, I'm going to do this, 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 and then, okay, well, you know, when's your deadline for getting this part set up? When do you start the next component? If you're just going to, you know, list out all the things you're going to do without having a proper plan in place, you're going to find that you get six, 12 months down the line and you're like, oh my gosh, I haven't done all those things. Because unfortunately, marketing is one of those things that can fall by the wayside really easily if you're not really on top of it, because it's not like you've got a client badgering you in your ear saying, hey, I need this. It's an internal structure. So, having a rollout plan that you're accountable yeah. to is super important. Marketing is high importance but low urgency. So it tends to get bumped. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Other things can take its place and it's dangerous because then if you run out of leads, you, then you've got a serious problem. Yeah, absolutely. And it's often when you get to that point that when you have run out of leads, there's a whole lot that needs to happen. So it's not like you can get them through the door tomorrow. There's, you know, lead time on that, which is super yeah. frustrating. So, yeah. So I bet you're going to ask us at this point, okay, that sounds like a lot, but what is that going to do to my bottom dollar line? Because that's the face that that's where a lot of people want to know where the rubber hits the road. So do you want to talk about that, James? Yeah, so people are going to make investment decisions around what they can afford mm -hmm. and then what their growth objectives are. And there's usually a tension between those. So people want to grow real fast, but then how much uh, can they afford? I, I would always recommend that people will invest at a level that is affordable for them. Yeah. They shouldn't be losing sleep because they've over-invested and taken a big risk to on the hope that it all turns out. Um, now, marketing plans work remarkably consistently, but it's it's just not 
a lay down misere that it's all going to work in the first three months and it's all going to yeah. be easy. There's usually wrinkles like with everything. So yeah. you need to invest. People typically invest in, in one of three levels. There's either people that are looking to get started. So they're looking to put some money in, but they're not ready to dive in deep. Uh, there's people that have already been doing some marketing and are really looking to grow. They'll invest more. And then there's people who are like, no, I really need to accelerate. I want to invest hard and really get into it. So that's going to depend on you, your budget and your needs. But people invest all sorts of dollar numbers. So in when we do a playbook, we will tailor something to your budget and give you some options. Um, and it's quite modular, so you can choose which services you want and up, up and up and down between them quite easily. Yeah. So the budget is an important question. How much is this going to cost over the course of the year? So then you can uh, look at returns on investment. What's that going to bring in the front door and how's my business going to grow as a result? So that is all of the components of a digital marketing playbook. Indeed. Not a small list, but definitely a very <laughs> thought out and detailed one. So we, when we do this for clients, we take up to a month. Now we've got all the people in internally that can that can do all this research and put it all together without too much fuss because we do it every day. If you're going to do it on your, on your own, then it's it's a lot of work, as many many yeah, hours. Yeah, absolutely. And you're not going to know what you're getting right and what you're getting wrong if you've not done it before and you don't know what you're looking for. But because this is a huge part of what we do, we know exactly when we are looking at something and going, "Oh, that's a really big problem," or "Oh, that's a really good opportunity." because yeah. Um, we've, yeah, really developed that laser focus. Yeah, and benchmarked it across lots of industries yeah. across many years. So, uh, look, I hope you found that helpful. If you would like to discuss with us putting together one of these playbooks, just jump onto Google and type in the online co and there's a, there'll be a book a quick chat button and you can have a quick chat with us. Absolutely. So thank you for joining us today christy no worries this episode of digital marketing that puts people first was brought to you by the online co the production and music was by harry parnwell and you can find us at the onlineco.net if you found this helpful or you think you might know someone who would benefit from this please feel free to share it with them uh, while you're at it you can subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review take care 